G'day everyone, I'm Luke Tipple and welcome to the Shark Week podcast. This is where you get exclusive access to the stars of Shark Week and learn from the top scientific minds on the planet. Today I'm talking to two scientists, Dr. Austin Gallagher and Christine De Silva, stars of the show Tiger Shark King. Austin, tell me about your experience and how this whole adventure came around. This was a really exciting journey and show to be part of and it really was an incredible opportunity to advance our science for a long time now luke we've sort of had this theory that the deep sea would be really important for some of these large sharks and this is actually kind of a new phenomenon that we're discovering with all these new types of tags and technology so we came up with this kind of crazy idea for an expedition to go down deeper than we've ever gone before and use submersibles and deep sea cameras to try and find out what's happening with these large sharks. And uh, we weren't really prepared for what we saw. It was uh, some pretty crazy experiences for sure. I'm actually not really sure what we saw. We saw you guys down in subs, you were you know, several hundred feet down. We saw a big tiger shark come in and it either you know, bit the bait or interacted with a sub somehow. Um, but it, it looked pretty exciting. Tell me exactly what happened there. There's still some question marks. I mean, it was kind of insane because I lost comms with Christine at the top and with Jimmy in the other sub, and it was pitch black. We knew there were big animals around because we had seen them on the cameras, and uh, Jimmy went out of comms, and I definitely saw a really big shape in the in the distance, and I'm pretty sure one of our large tigers that we'd been tracking uh, asserted itself pretty heavily. Yeah, so uh, being very specific, when you say asserted itself, do you think it actually bumped the sub because it looks like they weren't quite sure, or did it grab that bait you had hanging off there? I think that the shark actually bumped the sub, and it's actually similar to some of the behavior that we had seen from our camera tag, where this big shark seemed to be moved a mm. few feet. So I think one of these large sharks was not happy that we were there, and uh, it's not uncommon for, for large animals to actually bump into submersibles and and other objects underwater. So I think he got bumped by one of those large tigers. Yeah, perhaps some type of like dominance display or something, seeing what was going on. So Christine, it looks like you had a great time on that trip. Uh, Tell me, why were you there? What was your field of research? So I am a predator prey ecologist. So I work, Austin and I have been working together for like five years now, I think. Um, And I was there on that trip specifically as, you know, kind of topside support. So any time that Austin or Jimmy were down in the subs, I was watching the cameras, making sure everything was all right and seeing if any big sharks or other large animals were coming along. So in the show, uh, you're introduced as having, um, you know, you, you deal with predator-prey interactions, but you're also very specialized in deep water animals. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, I work uh, with Austin and a group out of URI to uh, send down drop cameras and see what we can find down there, possibly find new species um, or, you know, find species that we already know of, but extend the range that we think that they're at. So find out that they're actually going deeper than we thought, like the tiger sharks. Uh, I mean, out of everyone, you must be seeing some of the coolest animals down there because there's so much that we don't know about. So can you tell me um, specifically, what do you think the challenges might be for sharks that that are using deep, deep water, particularly sharks that might be coming up to the surface and then going down into the mm-hmm. depths, because I don't think people can really wrap their heads around that the sharks that they think might be interacting or threatening us on the surface could also be thousands of feet below the water. Yeah, I think you had a really good point where this is something that's kind of new, especially if we're going to talk about the tiger sharks right now. Like We did not, as scientists, we really, just a few years ago, didn't think that tiger sharks were going this deep. 
and this regularly. So for a shark that spends the majority of its time maybe on the surface or near the surface, that's spending some time down in the deep, it's a big change. So they're going from an area that's shallow with a lot of light and not a ton of pressure to an area that's very, very dark and they have to now deal with a lot of pressure as in the actual water um, pressing them down. So I think that, you know, a lot of the sharks that live down, a lot of the sharks that live down deep, they have adaptations because they're living down there all the time. Things like um, having eyes that allow them to see better in the dark. You kind of see that with some of the other sharks that we filmed. They have that bright green eye. And we can talk about that a little bit later, which is really cool. Um, why they're going down there? Something that we still need to research. Uh, I think that possibly they're going down there to feed, uh, but also possibly down there to find some other mates as well. So Austin, when we've got these sharks, uh, obviously Christine just mentioned that some sharks are very specialized to be down deep. They might have bigger eyes or, you know, different ways of feeding. But we've got uh, sharks that we typically associate with being, you know, surface feeders or at least surface related, you know, tiger sharks, hammerheads, great whites that we're now finding down very, very deep. So when they're going down and perhaps competing with animals that have highly specialized systems um, that have evolved for that depth, are they, are they facing any challenges or why do you think they're down there? Or, or are we just now understanding how specialized they are across different ranges? Yeah, it's a great question, Luke. Um, we're still learning. We're still learning a lot about this, but I would say that surface dwelling sharks actually have a pretty big advantage going down deep because a lot of the marine life and even the deep water sharks that are specialized for life in deep water, they live life in a slow lane. They're really, really slow moving. Uh, they don't need to move fast to get food. There's not a ton of food everywhere that they need to chase. So surface dwelling sharks are actually a bit faster and tiger sharks are pretty lazy. So they can actually go down and they have this huge mouth and just open that wide open um, and they can really benefit from um, you know being faster than a lot of the other animals out there. Um, when you get below about five or 600 feet, there's just not that much light. Um, and sharks have really good senses beyond just vision that they can use to, you know, really try to get an edge on some of the potential food sources down there. So um, we're just starting to get an understanding of what that might look like. Um, interesting thing about tiger sharks is, like you said, we think about Tiger Beach. We, and that's where we started this show. We think about shallow water coming close to shore, beaches being overrun with sharks, but the deep is actually a new place that they might have been there the whole time. And maybe they actually spend more time there than we think. Um, tiger sharks are incredible because the more and more we study them, the more we tag them, we're learning they can kind of do whatever they want. They're super generalist, which means they can live anywhere. They're found in cold water, warm water. And now we know not just shallow water, but also deep. So gulper sharks in the Bahamas. Honestly, I've been going to the Bahamas for 15 16 years, something like that. Seen a whole bunch of species out there. And I, if somebody had asked me about gulper sharks being in the Bahamas, I would have said, oh, I don't know, maybe not. But you guys are finding a ton of them. Christine, uh, you were watching the drop cams when that was going on. Mm-hmm. How many were there? Were they really big? Were they being predatory or were they just scavenging? What was going on? Yeah, I mean, being at the top and being able to watch the drop cams is an awesome experience. Being able to, you know, there's nothing, nothing, nothing. And then all of a sudden, maybe you see a shark or a salp chain kind of just pop into the light. It was just one of the coolest things ever. Uh, For the gulper sharks, though, they really, when they came in, they were not 
aggressive like you would think a tiger shark would where they saw something they wanted and they would go after it. They kind of just moseyed their way on into the light, kind of like just looked around. And then eventually once they bit on, it really did take them a little while. Once they bit on, then they were, you know, twisting their bodies, trying to get it off of the uh, pole that we had it stuck to. Um, so cool. I mean, the gulper sharks are, I, I live on Cape Cod where we have a ton of dogfish and gulper sharks are a type of dogfish. And so being able to compare the shallow water dogfish that I catch all the time at home to these gulper sharks that live in the deep sea, they're much darker, they have much larger eyes, they're much slower moving, you know, they, it's really, really just cool for me able to compare the two. But I mean, just watching, I think we had around 15 gulper sharks in total, yeah. multiple different species, probably three or four different species. So being able to not only see like, yes, we have gulper sharks here, there are multiple species of gulper sharks and quite a few of them as well. So with your specialization in, you know, predator prey, when we think of deep water, we don't typically think of a lot of food availability, you know, that they're, they're mm -hmm. typically most of the time feeding on stuff that might be falling down, you know, you know, fall out from surface or they're, you know, very specialized hunters. So when mm -hmm. I've thought about it before, I always thought that when they'd, when they find food that they'd be fairly competitive for it because there might not be much around, but they seem pretty chill. So what are your thoughts on like the interaction between the actual sharks? Yeah, it's actually a good point. In one frame, uh, we actually had multiple species. We had three species of gulper sharks in one frame. Uh, so you had some larger ones and some smaller ones together. They don't typically get much larger than a couple feet, but they really did seem to be okay with each other. Mm. I mean, if you think about it, if something, let's say a large whale or something falls down into the deep and it's dead in there, they really have to be able to share. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you want to be, you know, you want to be able to get your fill but if you're fighting the whole time and you're spending more time on expending your energy on fighting and somebody else is eating you've kind of lost out you want to be able to share your food yes get your fill but make sure that you're not spending too much time fighting and too much energy fighting but there's only food showing up every once in a while yeah so we're talking a lot about depth and i think this is really important because i really want to steer into the tiger shark life cycle. And it's something that you guys are uncovering new data about and we can uh, better understand it. So when we're talking about life cycle, we're talking about, you know, pup to procreation or procreation of pup, whichever chicken or egg you decide to have f come first. But uh, Austin, how do you think this changes the, the published data or perception of, of how a tiger shark spends its life? I think that this could be a game changer. Um, we can put tags out on as many sharks as we want, but until we actually see them at depth and we make these recordings, we'll never really know for sure what's happening. Um, and that's the beautiful thing about science is that, you know, the more you do and the more you uncover, the more questions that it actually poses. So um, this is big. Um, we, 10 years ago, we didn't even know that tiger sharks were big oceanic migrants. We thought they stayed to the coastline, coastlines. And uh, all of our satellite tag data suggests that they're pretty nomadic and they'll go all the way out to the mid-Atlantic Ridge. Um, now that we know that they're going super deep, that opens up an entire Pandora's box of other questions. Uh, and I think you're going to see other species and other researchers also start thinking, well, maybe my species is also going deeper. Maybe we should start looking into some deep water tech. Uh, which is kind of what it's all about. So yeah, we're, we're really excited about this and um, I think just the beginning of something really epic. So if at this point, knowing that things 
obviously always change in science. We discover more. But right at this point with the new data you've found, how would you describe a tiger shark's life cycle from pup through to procreation, like specifically referring to different depths? Sure. Um, well, when you're little, you kind of have to stay, you know, in the safe, protected areas, the shallows. Uh, tiger sharks are kings of seagrass throughout their entire life cycle. But basically, as the animal gets bigger, including tiger sharks, they open themselves up to more habitats. So from a little tiger shark pup on the seagrass, they can start getting bigger. Teenage years, now they're on the coral reef. They're working the coral reef. They're scaring stuff. Uh, and then when they get bigger, they start going on their migrations. And these long migrations, they're going hundreds of miles, thousands of miles per year, crossing ocean, open ocean habitats. And when they do that open ocean migration, that's where the deep water comes in. So the deep water doesn't really happen until much later in their life uh, because it's not really a safe place to be if you're a little tiger shark pup. So where are they meeting? So if the big guys are traveling, they're down deep, um, is it males and females doing that? Because most of the females are seeing a shallow and you guys are seeing males down below. Where are they mixing, procreating? What's your guess? Great question. And we actually have some new satellite tag data from a mature male that we tagged in the Bahamas. And it did a huge migration from Nassau, uh, Chubb Key area, all the way up to New England and back. So we got the whole life cycle. And it looks like most of the females will stay shallow. And then the males will kind of come back down to the Bahamas area, uh, the center of the Bahamas area, and they'll try to intercept the females in deep water. So hmm. I think this deep water is sort of the, the meeting grounds for, for males and females. And uh, there's no one else out there that has data to suggest otherwise. So yeah. this is pretty new stuff. So uh, we could be wrong. But uh, I don't think we are. And I think that through more time and more sampling, we're going to see that uh, the deep water is ground zero for tiger shark populations. So uh, let's dive into that a little more because that's, that's fascinating. So uh, I went to the Marshall Islands a while back and I was uh, tagging sharks and um, was getting a little frustrated because I was trying to find larger sharks to tag. We were trying to prove shark movement from atoll to atoll. And... I could only find smaller females. You know, these reef sharks are four or five feet long. Couldn't find any males anywhere. And any bait we'd put in would just be smashed by 20, 30 females. And I'm thinking, are they getting out-competed? Are they getting pushed out? Where are the males? And it didn't actually happen until we found this really big, deep drop. We put on extra tanks. We dropped down to like 220 feet. Lo and behold, big six, seven-foot males down there. So, Christine, do you think that we're... We're seeing sexual segregation in terms of depths, or was that just something that you know is occasionally happening? Yeah, I think there's there's definitely a possibility. Like Austin said, we need to do more research into this. Um, but I think that there is a little bit of research and a little bit of proof already out there. Um, Tiger Beach, you know, that's a place where we started at. That's where this whole expedition began, and that's one place where you typically find mostly females and. That's a shallow, warm water area. Um, it's not actually a beach. It's not <laughs> dry, but it is a shallow, about 25 feet at most area where you find a lot of females. And we think that part of the reason these females are coming here is because they might be pregnant. Mm. And because the water there is warmer, that might speed up their gestation period. So it might speed up, um, might make it, it might shorten the amount of time that they're pregnant. Uh, but also, there aren't that many males there, so they aren't ready, really getting harassed. And there's quite a bit of food. So I think that there's a good point and definitely more research to be done to find out whether or not there really is uh, 
you know, females living at the surface and males spending more time down at the deep. It would be a really, really cool study. Yeah. Austin, does your data so far show any of that segregation uh, for tiger sharks or other species? Yeah, it does. Uh, some of our early data is showing that depth segregation. And I also think it's related to uh, behavior. Um, I've probably tagged 150 tiger sharks in the last 10 years. Probably only 10% of them have been males. But every time we've tagged a male, it's just ridiculous how strong they are. They're, it's like they're jacked up on hormones and they're super strong. They kick the crap out of our team. Uh, and even, you know, not massive ones, you know, even 10 footers will still, you know, put us to work. Hmm. Um, so if I was a female tiger shark, I wouldn't want to be around that at all. Unless <laughs> even if it's mating season, you don't want to be around that because they're going to harass you. Um, we all know that tiger sharks and a lot of other large sharks, they mate. It's not pretty. Um, it's not consensual. So it's pretty aggressive. Uh, so I think that's why we see this segregation. You have these big groups of females that kind of band together and push the males out. Um, I've even seen this, you know, snorkeling with oceanic white tips. When a male shows up, it's like it thinks it's a 25 foot shark. You know, it's just ridiculous. So um, I think it does come down to behavior and hormones. And uh, it's pretty exciting. So, Austin, I know from experience how difficult it is putting tags on those tiger sharks. How many times did that take? That took us at least four or five times. And you think, even if you've seen a few of these shows, oh, well, look at these huge tiger sharks. They're moving super slow. You're sitting in the sand. This has got to be super easy to put a tag on a shark underwater. No. no. These are wild animals. They're not trained. You have to coerce them to coming right up to you, in between you. On that particular dive day, the first, first dive was amazing. You know, no, the conditions were very favorable, uh, but we couldn't get a shark to come in. On the next dive, we finally got the sharks to come in, and the current was ripping. And it would just made the diving like super sketchy. Uh, I was sucking air like it was my job, um, and my mask wasn't working. It was just all the situations that you don't want to have were happening. But we were able to get it done, uh, and Jay brought this beautiful shark right in. Jimmy was right there positioning the shark to come through this highway. And at the last second, we were able to get that tag on. Uh, on the second time, it stuck. And uh, that's pretty amazing. I mean, every time I see that clip, it's just like, wow, how did we actually do that? Um, and, uh, <laughs> and their just, fins are so, like, small and stubby and kind of fat and slippery <laughs> that people think they have yeah. great big fins. But tiger sharks really don't. Like, at least their dorsals, at least. They're, they're challenging. Super hard. Um, and yeah, I mean, and they can actually feel when things are on their body too. They're, you know, they have really advanced systems. We don't think that they do, but if they don't like the way something feels, they're going to shake it off. So you really got to nail it when you get it. And uh, yeah, that felt amazing. And then I wanted to get out of the water. Right uh, that dive was super sketchy. I was not, that was not, <laughs> not chill at all, by the way. Yeah, I mean, when that, that current starts ripping there, I mean, if you haven't dove at Tiger Beach, you definitely need to go. It's one of the most amazing dives you can do. But we're, we're so frequently um, allowed to see beautiful pictures of Tiger Beach, and it's like serene tigers swimming around and coming in and feeding and stuff. But then you don't often see the tide change. <laughs> and when the tide changes, <laughs> that's when it just starts tearing. I mean, I've been down there and seen uh, in, the, in the old school days when people were using cages out there, I've seen cages get picked up and rolled across the seafloor and they've gone for miles to have been able to retrieve them. That's pretty much why we gave up cage diving out there because there's no point. <laughs> um, yeah. But let's talk about the, uh, the travel of that tag. So you got the tiger shark tagged. Um, did that tag take you off a of tiger beach and into the deep water? 
Yeah, we uh, we were anticipating some movement into deep water, and we were right. What that shark did was it jumped off the little Bahamas bank of Tiger Beach, went south, right into the tongue of the ocean, through the Great Bahamas Channel, and went to an area known as Chub Key, which is in the northwest portion of the tongue of the ocean. Deep water feature uh, aligns with our other research. So over the course of three or four days, uh, the shark was there, and uh, – right where we were expecting it to be in deep water. So, uh, Christine, the uh, the original tag that you guys put out. Now, did you guys work on that original infrared tag together? No, we did not. Okay, so Austin, you can tell me about that, and then uh, Christine will go on to the stuff that you saw in the field. But um, Austin, tell me about that original tag, the, the infrared one, because that was really cool. Yeah, about a year ago, we started putting camera tags on large tiger sharks in the center of the Bahamas to really understand what they were seeing when they were they were diving. And uh, that camera was developed in collaboration with some of my partners and collaborators, and we were just amazed. When we got that footage back, you have to retrieve that tag. Unlike some other types of tags that transmit information out into a space satellite, this one you have to retrieve. So it's like trying to find a needle in a haystack. Uh, but when you do get that data, uh, it's like Christmas morning times 10. And just completely blown away uh, to see nature's remotely operated vehicle. Yep. Um and when we first saw that deep water drop going down against the wall, not even swimming, sinking, uh, that was a moment I'll never forget as a researcher. And look at all the amazing things that have come from it. So from that footage, you guys mounted this expedition. And Christine, you were uh, putting in the drop cams and stuff. What were you prepared for in terms of depth and the challenges in filming the sharks down there? Yeah, so the drop cams that we used are like pretty much everything that we're using when it comes to deep sea research is very, very new technology. And like Austin said, one of the most important things and most exciting things is when you actually are able to find one of these again on the surface, because again, you have to pick them back up. The technology that we use for the drop cameras is really, really new and really, we're the only people that's using it. And what's different about them is we don't actually have to have a dome around the camera. So the camera itself is very small. It's just in some plastic and we don't have to worry about having such large pieces of technology. It's actually very small compared to other uh, cameras that we're able to put down there. So it's a lot less invasive. Um, it also doesn't have to be tethered to the boat. So what's really cool is we were able to go out on a small dinghy, drop them where we wanted them to be, mm. and then in a few hours, pick them back up. Yeah. And like I said, when you actually get to pick it back up, that's we found it. It's great. These things are expensive. That's <laughs> They're a new. Big sigh of relief. You know. yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Such a big sigh of relief. But it's also just awesome being up there. You know, you're in the middle of basically nowhere. <laughs> you know, you're just waiting for this thing that you think is hopefully pretty close to you. Yeah. <laughs> and luckily it pops up a couple of feet away and yeah, that's sigh of relief. But um, when it came to expectations of how deep we were going to go, we didn't really go in with any expectations. We were just going to kind of see where we ended up dropping at hmm. uh, these cameras. We did drop them to about uh, 3000 meters though. Hmm. So they can go pretty deep. That's amazing. Um, one of the cooler things that I saw in addition to all the sharks and stuff, was that salps chain. Um, yeah. Tell me a little bit about that, because that's, that's I, I had to actually look it up later. I'm like, oh, I remember that from school. What, what was that? That was so cool. Yeah, so salps chain, I guess, given their name, there is a chain. Mm. So it's multiple different animals that live together, which is really, really cool. And what I think actually is really, really cool about 
the video, uh, specifically the really, really long one is one, how long it was. I think, I mean, it's hard to tell, but we think it's about 20 feet long. And at first we were like, what is this? <laughs> you know, we had a bunch of different hypotheses. We thought it maybe it's an ore fish, uh, but eventually Austin was able to figure out that it is a, it was a salp chain. Mm. And another really cool thing about the video that we did is that it almost looked like this salp was attracted to the light. Mm. And science doesn't really, I mean, we're not really sure whether or not salps are able to you know, make decisions as where they want to go. Yes, they have some sort of propulsion, but it's they do a lot of filter feeding, so they just kind of yeah. go around. So it really hasn't been shown before that they're attracted to light. So this is something that we want to look into a little bit more. I mean, do they so, have any photoreceptive organs? Like, do they have eyes or something that would tell them which way a light is coming from? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly don't know the answer to that. Austin, maybe you can answer Austin, that. Austin, you know? They do have photoreceptors, yeah. It's like a okay. very, very, very primitive eye that yeah. just can detect light or dark like jellyfish. Yeah, so it's just like forward or away okay. from it type of thing. Yeah. So uh, when you guys went down in the subs, uh, Austin, you're expecting to obviously find tiger sharks, but you're trying to figure out how they're using that depth and if there was a, an aggression display or, or something going on. Having been down there in the subs and perhaps seen some of that aggressive territorial displays, why do you think that happened? Yeah, we definitely saw some territoriality. And I mean, big sharks are probably down there because they feel like they're truly at the top of the food chain down there. There's nothing else that's competing with them. Uh, there's no other big animals. They are literally the king down there in deep water. Then they see this big sub, this big you know machine that's making all this noise. It's got all these lights. It's got some bait on it. Sharks can be territorial and they will assert themselves to each other, to other things. So I think it was a pure threat display trying to tell us to get out of there. And um, we certainly listened to that. Yeah. So the, uh, the shark that you originally tagged with the, the infrared uh, tag, that was a male, correct? That was actually female. Oh, it was a female. Okay. So it was a female that was going down deep and perhaps a male that was being territorial or some type of mating. Like what, what's your theory having thought about it, seeing the data, what, what actually happened there? I think about it all the time, what really happened during that one moment. Uh, and, you know, we'll never know what it really is until we keep doing more work and expeditions like this. But, yeah, large, reproductively, fe reproductively mature female went down. Um, looks like it got hit or bumped by something. And then she actually left. So she, she went back up to shallow water. Um, so it's almost like she encountered something down there. Uh, and decided to leave because maybe it was too threatening, too mm. big. Could have been a mating attempt. It wasn't certainly wasn't long enough to be a successful mating attempt because that would probably take, you know, 30, 40 seconds. I mean, I've never timed it, but mm. it, it wouldn't be just a fleeting, a fleeting uh, glimpse like that. So, yeah, could be some mating down there. I mean, like Christine said earlier, uh, a lot of food options down there. Um, tiger sharks will also eat things that we don't think they will, like plankton or salps chain why wouldn't they eat that you know yeah. it's basically a free meal for them so uh this is a new territory that we need to do more work into we need to get more tech down into the deep and really figure out what's going on with these big tigers so getting back to our, our life cycle and getting a little bit more sort of day in day out about it um are you seeing the males and or females using the depth at different times of day like is it is it simplistic enough as, you know, during the day they're coming up shallow, during the, the night they're going down deep? Like, explain that to people. 
it seems like, well, once you get below 200 meters, 600 feet, it's pretty much dark completely. So it's, it's, it's always nighttime down below that. But during the daytime, um, they do seem to spend a bit more time in deep water. And we think that they're probably trying to take advantage of, uh, you know, animals that might be migrating during the day to take advantage of the sun, uh, photosynthetic animals. So we don't see any real differences between males and females time of day wise, mm. but it does seem that the daytime is when the animals are spending more time in deep water. We don't know why that could be, but an area for more research. So would that change uh, somewhat the sort of preconceived notion that people have that tiger sharks uh, they only feed on turtles and, you know, bite surfers and things that are, you know, typically surface associated? Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we do, they do spend, spend a lot of time at the surface eating air breathing organisms, no doubt about it. Um, but I've seen some pretty incredible stuff. You know, sometimes tiger sharks will puke when you tag them. I've seen feathers, crab claws, turtle heads, potato chip bags. Um, they'll go after pretty much anything. And um, we need to figure out what's inside their stomachs, but we don't want to kill them. We don't want to kill the sharks to see what's inside their stomachs. So we need to be non-invasive. So, um, taking blood samples, observation, those types of things are really important. So, uh, Christine, what's the next piece of research you guys are pushing for? Having just done this, what's what's the next step for you guys? Yeah, the next step is doing more tagging. You know, let's get more of these tags out there, whether or not it's a tag that has a camera on it or not. We need to get more of this data. We have a thought, you know, we have a hypothesis, but let's go out and prove it and get more uh, get more sharks out there. And are you guys looking for places other than out of the Bahamas? Like, where else are you working? Yeah, we are. Uh, we also work a lot on Cape Cod, which is where I'm from. And so we are doing a lot of tagging of sharks, uh, not only tiger sharks on Cape, uh, but being able to see whether or not they go deep as well. Hmm. What's pretty interesting is actually that one male tiger shark I was referring to earlier that we hmm. tagged in the Bahamas went up to the coast of Cape Cod and is currently there right now. In a few months, we're going to go back up to Cape Cod and see if we can find some of these large sharks in these deep water canyons. And the areas they're going to, no shock, deep water. Right when the continental shelf drops off into these huge canyons, that's where they are. And uh, we're going to throw some more drop cameras down there. So that brings up a really interesting point. If they're, if they're staying deep and the conditions are fairly similar um, at those depths, why would they be traveling? Why would they be migrating? That's the million dollar question, man. We're really trying to figure that out. Um, there could be a food source that, you know, in, they're inherently drawn to year after year um, where maybe the feeding grounds and the mating grounds are, are separated. Mm. Um, that's what it is in the case of large marine mammals like whales. You know, they feed in New England in the summer and then they calf and give birth in the tropics. Mm -hmm. Do I think tiger sharks are doing that? I don't think so. Yeah. Um, but they could be, you know, um, it, for whatever reason, the Bahamas is one really important area, and then, you know, off of New England seems to be another one. And um, for sure, I think mating's happening down in the Bahamas, but there might be some really incredible food that's happening uh, on that migration. The Gulf Stream pushes a bunch of warm water basically from the coast of Florida all the way up to Nova Scotia. So it's moving everything, large pelagic fishes, mm. turtles, all of these things. Um, it's a good highway to follow if you're a big tiger. So is there some type of like guess or anecdotal evidence of certain migration patterns or bait runs or something that they might be taking the opportunity to go up and intercept? For sure. Yeah. So you have the you know migration patterns of leatherback turtles. You have the migration patterns of pretty much every large animal in the Atlantic Ocean follows mm -hmm. the same thing, whether it's humpback whales, 
uh, right whales, um, other types of turtles, billfish, swordfish, tuna. Um, everything follows that path, so it's not a shocker that the, the apex predator of the ocean is doing the same thing. So uh, if we're seeing fairly sophisticated um, you know, thought process and migrations that might be happening from tiger sharks, I, I think there's a perception out there that tiger sharks are a little bit dumb. You know, they, they go up and bump into something and tear it apart, and, and that's basically it. But you're describing a much more sophisticated um, life cycle process of where they're deciding to feed, mate, interact. Um, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, we don't give these animals enough credit. Uh, they are incredible. They do this migration year after year without a GPS. Uh, I can barely go to the supermarket without using my iPhone uh, sometimes. So, yeah, I think they're a lot smarter than we give themselves credit for. And um, you also have to remember that they've been doing this for hundreds of millions of years. Uh, so they've been perfecting their craft for quite a long time. And, uh, yeah, we got to just give them a little more respect sometimes because they are you know, pretty sophisticated. So, Christine, coming back from this uh, trip, what was your what was the, the highlight of it? What was the moment for you? That's hard to answer because there were a lot of moments. <laughs> I think for me, just being up on the deck of the ship and having Austin and Jimmy down in the sub and being able to kind of just spy on what's going on down there mm. <laughs> was just incredible. And then just looking at all the footage. You know, it's not really just one moment for me, but it's the fact that we were able to find so many different species and, you know, hopefully bring new things to science. And just for me, like I never had seen, at least in person, I'd never been on a trip and seen a six scale before. Hmm. That for me was just absolutely incredible. So new species for me is always an awesome thing. Yeah. Yet another deep water animal that you're seeing off the Bahamas that we wouldn't immediately associate with right. the Bahamas. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's talk a little operationally because there was a couple of things that I saw in there. I was like, why'd they do that? So um, that's the cage that you guys put in. Jimmy put in, got in the cage and you created a big feeding frenzy. Super cool. Um, looked great on camera and stuff. But operationally, why? Yeah, I mean, there were definitely a few question marks there with some of the operations, especially with the current. But um, we really wanted Jimmy to get close to some of these big animals. Um, and it worked well. I mean... Mm. I guess the main reason why we did that one cage dive was we were going to a new area. We didn't know it was there. We had thought that there were some big sharks, so just to be a little safe. But, um, yeah, the current was ripping. And yeah. I was actually going to go in the cage to begin with for that. And we looked at the conditions, and we determined we're just going to put one person in there. Jimmy's got a lot more cage diving experience than I do, so uh, he was the natural choice there. But, uh, yeah, you live and you learn. Uh, luckily, nobody was injured, and we got some incredible footage, and um, it was a big part of the show. Yeah, um, and when you actually went diving, I saw you—you you know you were kitted out in some really sweet camo, like you were—you were super disguised. But but you opted for the the yum yum yellow fins, like just was that, was that a strategy? You want them to chase you? Like what's going on? I wish there was a cooler story behind that one, but all my gear got held up in customs in, in <laughs> Lauderdale, so I had to use everyone else's gear, which actually made it worse for me. I didn't have my own BCD, didn't have my own mask, the, the OTS didn't fit me, so I was like swimming blind down there, but uh, maybe the yellow fins actually helped bring those sharks in, I don't know. Yeah, I've uh, sometimes we'll actually wear them purposely or put down the bright colors, because it does seem to attract them a little bit. It does, uh, for sure. Yeah. And uh, down on Tiger Beach, as you know, you'll be sitting in the sand. Occasionally, you'll, you'll feel one brushing your fins and stuff. And that's always fun yeah. for the tourists. <laughs> always fun. Christine, did you get to dive out in Tiger Beach? I did not. Uh, but one of the cool things about Tiger Beach is that the water is so clear. 
Um, so I was up on top on comms, but I was able to see pretty much everything they were doing. Yeah. So unfortunately, no, I didn't get to go in. <laughs> I would right? love to have gone in, <laughs> but next time. Exactly. Yeah. Good deal. Uh, is there anything else you guys want to add to this conversation? No, I mean, this was a really fun show. Just to close it out for me, you know, to do things for the first time is something we always strive for as scientists, but very rarely do we actually accomplish that. This was the case. A new area, new tech, new discoveries, and um, sometimes the best science is when you just go out and, and try to see things and try to discover them. Mm -hmm. You don't always have to tag animals to learn from them, and I think that, that this show uh, really shows that and uh, demonstrates that. And um, Discovery is why we get into this in the first place. Whether you're a scientist, a filmmaker, uh, a TV show host, whatever, we're all in this because we love the natural world. And shows like this really reinforce that. And anytime you can get out in submarines and go and find big ass sharks in deep water, <laughs> you just got to take that opportunity, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. That's yeah. I awesome. think we, we got to do a lot of really cool things with a lot of new technology and I had an absolute blast, but I think bottom line, it's important also to remember that the research that we're doing will hopefully inform conservation. Hmm. So we're getting to do some really, really cool things, but I'd really like to see that our research is then translated into maybe protecting another area of the ocean, maybe an area where we find that the sharks are actually congregating. So that's a fantastic yeah. point. And again, it talks about, you know, our life cycle and travel and stuff. So um, what do you think, doesn't exist in current legislation um, that this research could change? Yeah, so this trip was specifically in the Bahamas, which is actually protected. You are not allowed to take sharks from the Bahamas, which is amazing. And it's really actually something that's quite rare around the world. And you really need more of this, uh, more of these marine protected areas, specifically, especially for sharks, because they are keystone predators. Um, for our future research, I'd like to see other areas protected. Perhaps we find out where the sharks are mating. Perhaps we find out where they, other places where they're pupping as well. And I'd love to see areas like that protected and continuously protected. Yeah. And being able to prove that, hey, we've got protected animals that are moving from this area right. over to an area where they're not being protected or they're crossing waters that aren't protected. It doesn't matter if they're going between sanctuaries, if there's fishing boats sitting in the middle. So being yeah, able to say, point. hey, we can demonstrate that we need to protect all of these areas to protect their entire life cycle is really important. So Dr. Austin Gallagher, Christine De Silva, thank you so much for joining me. Guys at home, that was your Daily Bite. Check out their show, Tiger Shark King, this Shark Week, and happy Shark Week. And if you'd like to continue hearing from the top shark experts in the world, tune into the rest of the Daily Bite podcast. Thanks for listening.